Amen. You can be seated. If you are a student of your Bible, you're aware of the fact that a lot is taking place in John chapter number 5. Jesus attends a feast in Jerusalem, and while he's there, he visits a pool known as Bethesda. Now, there was something special about Bethesda's pool. There were certain times when God would send an angel out of heaven to trouble the water and whoever got into the water first would be healed of their infirmities. Uh, So because of that very reason, the pool was surrounded by the blind, the lame, the handicapped, the physically afflicted. Uh, So Jesus finds a lame man laying by Bethesda's pool who's been laying there for 38 years and you know the story how he heals him. Uh, But here's the odd part about that preacher. The religious people got mad about it. They got bent out of shape. They got upset because Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. Uh, I mean, they got all messed up. And if you read on, Jesus tells them a thing or two. I mean, Jesus put that crowd in their place and told them exactly what they needed to hear and what he thought of them. And John number chapter number 5 goes on and Jesus begins to talk about his authority and his character as the Son of God. And Jesus basically tells that religious crowd uh, that they're so steeped in their tradition, they're so wrapped up in their religion that they won't even listen to him and receive eternal life. See, the Jews thought that they had eternal life according to verse 39, but Jesus said in verse number 40, and you will not come to me. You will not come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, you won't come to me. He said, they would not come to me. I want to preach on that little thought, if I may please tonight, on why so many will never come to Jesus. Why so many will never come to Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you tonight that there's a whole lot of people who still will not come to Jesus. Jesus said, I've done all these things and you still won't come to me. Jesus said, I've offered you eternal life and you will not come to me. Now there's several things we can take away from that statement, Benny. First of all, the problem is with people, not with God. People who don't come to God don't come because God doesn't want them. They won't come to God because they don't want God. It's God's will for all men to come to Him is what the Bible teaches. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish. 1 Timothy 2 and 4 says that God would have all men to be saved if they just would. The truth is this, ladies and gentlemen, God wants people to be saved more than people want to be saved. But some of them are never going to come, and that's not God's fault. Secondly, John 6, 37 says this, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Not only is it God's will for men to come to Him, but it's also a matter of God's welcome. God welcomes sinners. That means there's nothing stopping a sinner from coming to Christ in faith and in repentance. Jesus had already done everything required for a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl to be saved. And we just read a promise in the Word of God that if we'll come to Him, we will not only be a part of God's will, but we will know something about God's welcome. We won't be rejected. We'll be accepted. God's not going to turn us away. But the trouble is... We make salvation a whole lot harder than it really is, preacher. We want people to get their act together, get their ducks in a row, and then get saved. I'm glad that's not a prerequisite because, bless God, I don't have any ducks. I don't even have a row. I don't even have a pond for the ducks to float in. Somebody help me. 
No, sir, that's working backwards. You get saved, and because you're saved, then you'll get your act together. Then, after you're saved, you'll get your ducks in a row. So if it's God's will, ladies and gentlemen, for every man, woman, boy, or girl to be saved, and God welcomes the sinner, and God won't turn anybody away who comes to Him, I've got a pretty good question tonight. How come everybody isn't saved? Why is it that so many turn away the free gift of salvation? Why is it that so many would choose the broad path to destruction? Why is it that so many seem content to live without God and then die and enter a Christless eternity? Why doesn't everybody want to get saved? I want to show you a couple of reasons from the Bible why so many people miss it. I want to show you a few reasons why so many will never come to Jesus. Number one, the first reason why so many will never come to Jesus, preacher, is the reason that so many will never be born again is because, number one, truth is not a priority. Truth is not a priority. And this has always been a characteristic of mankind, ladies and gentlemen. Man has never concerned itself much with the truth. We live in a society that's more concerned about feelings and more concerned about preferences than they are about truth. What do you mean by that, preacher? We've replaced truth with counterfeits, Richard. We, we've replaced truth with, oh, let's just give a few examples. We've, re- we've replaced truth with dimmed lights. We've replaced truth with loud music. We've, God help us, we've replaced truth with blue jeans, flip-flops, and Bermuda shorts at God's sacred desk. And people flock to that mess. I mean in droves. People are flocking to the contemporary liberal movement in our day, preacher. Why? Because of an absence of truth. People don't want the truth. They don't want the Bible. The contemporary movement is growing in leaps and bounds. I mean week for week for week. Their numbers are topping our numbers, preacher. And it's because they are what they call themselves inclusive. They say we're inclusive. You know what that means? That means anything goes. That means come as you are and leave like you came. And people go to that mess and they turn the lights down and the rock band plays and and the preacher gets up and he's wearing Bermuda shorts and flip-flops and and he's got three hairs that he took off the the tail of his dog and super glued to his chest and he's got his uh, uh, shirt unbuttoned down to the middle button and he's got a necklace on that he he took out of his wife's uh, jewelry box. Somebody help me. Can I just submit to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that's a bunch of garbage. That's a mess. But people love it. They flock to it. Why, preacher? Because they're never confronted with the truth. I mean, mean that that preacher wouldn't preach on sin. I I mean, he, he or God help us, she, God help us, she, wouldn't preach against snakes, bless God, if they had one hung around their neck. And that's the very reason they're packing them out every Sunday. Because of an absence of truth. And I'm just going to be honest with you folks. I'm not near as rough as Dennis is. I've still got a little bit of tact left. I ain't got much preacher, but I got a little bit of tact left. But I just think y'all tell it right. 
I just think y'all tell it straight. I just think y'all to preach the whole counsel of God. And ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at an individual uh, tonight who's not afraid of the truth of the Bible. I mean, I'm, I'm not backing down from the Bible. If the Bible says it's right, then it's right. And if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. Period. It's not going to change for your convenience. It's not going to change for your preference. And if our movement preacher is lacking anything in this day and time, it's a lack of preaching. I mean real preaching. I mean I'm not talking about a motivational speak speech. I'm not talking about a pep talk to sell the preacher's newest book. I mean I'm talking about preaching. I'm talking about giving the people what they come for and that's the truth of this King James Bible preacher. But the reality is this, folks. People don't want truth. People hate truth. Why? Because here's the reality. Is everybody listening? Don't let me lose you. You're a sinner. You are rotten as hell. You are depraved. You are wicked. You're ungodly. The best you can do still stinks in the nostrils of God. Somebody say amen. And outside of Jesus... We're all sorry as a dog and we'll go to hell without hope. And that's the truth. And if you're not patting folks on the back, and if you're not telling them how good they are, if you're not telling them, oh, God understands, the good will outweigh the bad. You just have to love everybody. You just have to be a good person. If you're not preaching that kind of mess, preacher, they don't want to hear a thing you've got to say. People hate truth. Period. (coughs) Excuse me, what about this? What about Romans chapter number 1? The Bible said in Romans 1, preacher, that the people hated truth so bad. They rejected truth so much that your Bible says that they changed the truth of God into a lie. That's what your Bible says. Romans 1, 25, go home and read it for yourself. Truth is repulsive, preacher. Truth isn't a magnet. People don't flock to truth like a moth flocks to a light bulb. Truth is repulsive. It, it, it repels it, it, because it's revealing. And what I, what I mean by when I say that truth is repulsive is that people run from truth. They hide from it. Watch this. John 3.20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Well, the answer is after the colon in that scripture. Lest his deeds should be reproved. People run from the truth because it reveals their sin. It shows them how sorry they are. They're forced to see themselves for what they really are. And here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8 number 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth. Jesus said, fellas, y'all want me dead. I'm paraphrasing by the way. Now wait a minute, time out. Nazareth was out in the country. Jesus could have said, y'all, don't judge me. Jesus said, the reason that you want me dead is because I told you the truth. I revealed to you what you really are. I showed you for what you really are on the inside. And the Bible says that they hated him for it. And they wanted to kill him for it. Your Bible also says that There's going to be a multitude of people left behind after the second coming of the Lord and they'll be deceived by the Antichrist and be damned forever because, what does your Bible say? Because they loved not the truth. Because they hated the truth. 
and they are doomed forever because they hated the truth. And I submit to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that there are millions and millions and millions of people who are never going to come to Jesus because they hate the truth. Because truth's not a priority. Second of all, I'll tell you another reason why some people are never going to come to Jesus. Number two, it's not only uh, because the truth isn't a priority, but what about this? It's because our teachings aren't popular. Our teachings are not popular. 2 Timothy 4.3 uh, says that there would come a day when people would not endure sound doctrine. Uh, that means they wouldn't have a desire to learn. They wouldn't be teachable, if I can use your word. They wouldn't want to mature. They wouldn't want to move up. It means that people would fall out with sound biblical instruction and teaching. Paul was telling Timothy that there would come a time when people would not want to hear what the Bible has to say about an issue. People would no longer seek godly wisdom or biblical counsel. Now, I'm not that old. Don't let the receded hairline fool you. I'm not that old. But I remember a time, preacher, when people went to the man of God for godly counsel before they made a decision. They went to the man of God. I mean, I grew up around people. They, uh, they wouldn't even go buy a car unless they went to the man of God and talked to the man of God about it. Because why? Because they were interested in wisdom, godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, and godly counsel. But we live in days, ladies and gentlemen, where... We've turned that aside. Paul said people would no longer be interested in what the Word of God has to say about an issue. And ladies and gentlemen, if that's not the world we're living in today, I'll eat your dirty socks. Ladies and gentlemen, the days that Paul said would come have come, by the way. I mean, let's just be honest. Real Bible preaching, real Bible teaching, and real Bible doctrine. Now let me just say a word about doctrine. I've heard people say that doctrine doesn't matter, uh, that as long as you love Jesus, everything will be okay. You know what they taught me in Bible college, preacher? They taught me that where there is no doctrine, there is dummies. Doctrine is important. Knowing what this Bible says, knowing what you believe, and that's not doctrine. What you believe is not doctrine, preacher. Why you believe it is doctrine. Doctrine is important. But anyhow... None of that stuff is popular anymore. People don't want to hear it. You can't tell anybody anything anymore because they already know it all. Let me illustrate. Fifty years ago, I wasn't alive then. Some of you dinosaurs were. It's all right. Fifty years ago... If you would have asked any church member, it didn't matter what the size of the church was, what denomination the church was, what the flavor of the church was. If you would have asked any church member if homosexuality was a crime against nature and an abomination in the eyes of God, any church member of any church, any denomination would have said, absolutely, yes it is, without question. Now you fast forward to the time we're living in. You're hard pressed to find a local church that still vocally stands against homosexuality and the issue of same-sex marriage. Here's what happened. Everybody had morals. Everybody had standards. Everybody had convictions. Is everybody listening? Until they got one in their family. 
And so now all of a sudden, because their cousin's a homosexual or because their sister's a lesbian, all of a sudden they feel like God changed his mind on the subject. I'll give you another example. 30 years ago, if you asked any church member of any local church where they stood on the abortion issue, remember I'm talking about any denomination, any flavor, any kind of, I mean any kind of of Christian sect you can think about. I'm talking about any of those folks. Denominations aside, they would have said, I am unapologetically pro-life. Well, that was until their teenage daughter got pregnant. Or their teenage son got a girl pregnant out of wedlock. Is everybody okay? And all of a sudden, because they wanted their kids to be able to go to college or to play ball instead of growing up and being a man and being a woman and taking care of their responsibility and, ta- and accepting the consequences for their actions, all of a sudden, uh, abortion became a health care choice in-, in the mind of those folks instead of cold-blooded murder, which is what it is in the mind of God, by the way. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen people change their convictions because of their circumstances. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who know what the Bible says, preacher. I'm talking about people who know better. And instead of acknowledging, excuse me, instead of acknowledging the wrong and the sin, when you tell them what the Word of God says, they don't want to hear it. People want to serve a God of convenience. Not a God of absolutes. But ladies and gentlemen, can I submit to you tonight that the God of this Bible is a God of absolutes. Well, now that I've hit the church crowd, let me get back on track. I'm back to talk about the lost people. Anyhow, you know what lost people are looking for? Lost people are looking for something to fill that God-shaped void that's in their life. Lost people are always looking for the thing that's going to satisfy them. Lost people are always looking for the thing that's going to soothe their soul and settle their conscience. And here's what's going to keep a whole lot of people from coming to Jesus. It's our teaching. It's because we have standards. It's because we have convictions. It's the fact that we preach against sin. It's the fact that we take a stand for what's right. I mean, we make an issue out of sin... And that's a problem for a lost man or a lost woman who's living in sin. But here's the reality. What did John the Baptist say when Jesus came across that Judean hillside that day? He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came into this world, ladies and gentlemen, to deal with a sin problem. Now listen, I'm going to help you. This is some real deep theology. Do you realize... That you don't have to stop sinning to get saved. You just got to want to. As long as you're holding on to your sinful lifestyle and refusing to acknowledge what the Bible says, you'll never be saved. You'll never be converted. Jesus told that woman that was caught in adultery, He said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, oh, just go on back to what you were doing before you met me. It'll be all right." He said, go and sin no more. And by the way, nowhere in this King James Bible do you find that lady saying, hold on a minute, I want to go sin a little more for a little while. That's what repentance is. Repentance is agreeing with God about your sin problem and then turning to Christ in faith. And you'll never come to Christ 
until he shows you that you're lost by a visitation of the Holy Ghost. It can't happen. Once the Holy Ghost eliminates your heart to the fact that you're lost, that you're undone without God, and on your way to a devil's hell, then you have to accept the fact that you're wrong, God is right, and He and you have to agree with Him about your sinful lifestyle. I know a lady right now. I love her dearly. She's a friend. She'd give you the shirt off of her back, preacher. I mean, she'd give you her last dollar if you asked her for it. I mean, mean, good person. Great. I mean, great lady. She's different. But not a greedy bone in this lady's body. But she believes that she's done enough good deeds in this life to earn her way to heaven when she dies. And I've tried to bring it up. And I've tried to say something to at least get her to thinking about the way she believes. And you know I've never got anywhere with her. And I'm afraid because she's got it in her head how it is and you can't tell her anything. I'm afraid that she'll never come to Christ because she won't listen to sound doctrine. She won't agree with God that she's a sinner. And it hurts me to say this, but if something doesn't change, preacher... She'll never come to Jesus. She'll go to hell in her sin and spend forever separated from God. And I take no delight whatsoever in saying that tonight. You have to agree with God that you need a Savior. You have to agree with God that you're lost. You have to agree with God that you're without hope and you're without help. And I'm afraid that a whole lot of people are going to miss it. Because they feel justified in their sinful lifestyle. They feel like they're not doing anything wrong. Or they say, see the sin of somebody else. And they say, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Yeah. 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 And the problem they have with our teaching is that we preach that sin is sin. Our message is, is that people are born into sin. I mean, buddy, you ever want to get in hot water? Tell a lost person they're a sinner. I mean, buddy, you'll get in some hot water real quick. I mean, we preach that man's depraved. We preach that man's de- uh, is sinful. Uh, I mean, we preach that not even man's heart is good because the Bible says that it's full of deceit and no man can know it is what your Bible says. I mean, we preach that all sin, all sin stinks in the nostrils of God. We preach that salvation is a relationship with Jesus Christ and that you must, it's required, it's not optional. You must, you must, you must turn from your sin. But here's the problem with that, and i got to move on. My wife told me we'd go to McDonald's for supper. I'm in a hurry. We're living in a time when that's not popular. Submit, woman. We live in a time where that's not popular, preacher. We live in a time where the popular thing is to tell folks that everybody gets to go to heaven. No matter what they've done, no matter what their spiritual condition is, no matter what their walk in life is like, The popular thing to do is tell everybody that everybody's going to heaven. And I wish I could stand up here tonight and tell you that everybody goes to heaven when they die. I wish I could say, preacher, I really do. I wish I could stand up here and tell you with surety that there's no such thing as a place called hell. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that God just turns a blind eye to sin and He lets everybody go to glory when they die. I wish I could say that. But the reality is this. God is a God of purity. And He's a God of justice. And God will not allow sin to enter into heaven. And if you're not justified through Christ Jesus and what He did on the cross, then you'll go to hell. I don't care what you believe. But the trouble is that's not popular teaching anymore. 
There was a time when people appreciated truth. There was a time when the most respected member of the community was the preacher because even the lost people in the community knew that he loved them enough to tell them the truth. But we live in a time where the truth is shunned. The truth is disregarded. The truth is neglected. The truth is hated. And I'm afraid that there's going to be a whole lot of people who will never come to Jesus, Richard, because our teachings aren't popular. They're not convenient. It's, it's, it's a complete lifestyle overhaul. Now I know that you don't get that you don't come to God and get saved and everything's okay overnight. I know it's a process and and and, and God has to knock rough, rough edges out of your life and 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 Lord knows I I've been saved half my life or more than half my life and I've still got problems. By the way, you do too. It's a process. But it's impossible to come in contact with Jesus Christ and remain the same. And because of that, our teachings aren't popular because it's a lifestyle change. You can't get into those things that you used to enjoy. You have to change. You have to stop it. Somebody asked me one time, they said, how come all you church people are fat? I said, well, when you get saved, you got to quit everything. And bless God, all we got left is eating. You go ahead and laugh. Some of you, bless God, so fat you can't bow your head to pray. It's okay. Number three, can I give you one more? Now this is the worst one in my opinion. I'll tell you another reason why so many people are never going to come to Jesus. Excuse me. It's because the timing, the time isn't pressing. The time isn't pressing. What do you mean by that, Brother Chris? Well, let me tell you what I mean. I believe in a... Now, now we're going to get into some doctrine here. Don't, Don't get intimidated. It's all right. I'm going to preach out of the Bible. Don't get, don't get nervous. I didn't get this from a Joel Osteen book. I got this out of the Bible. Don't let me lose you. I didn't even get this out of a T.D. Jakes book or a John Haggy book. I got this out of the Bible, okay? I believe in a whosoever will gospel preacher. I believe that Jesus tasted death for every man. I believe that God is not willing that any should perish. I have no problem telling you tonight that I believe God can save anybody, anytime, place, and anywhere. I believe that. I believe in a whosoever will gospel. But I don't believe in a whensoever gospel. I believe this. I believe the Bible teaches that salvation is seasonal, preacher. God told Noah, what did God say to Noah, preacher? He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. That indicates to me that there's going to be a time when God's spirit is absent from man. Can I just tell you when you're going to get saved tonight, ladies and gentlemen? You're going to get saved when God's dealing with you, or you're never going to get saved at all. It takes a visitation from another world, sir. It's an overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. That's what it takes to get birth into the family of God. It's a visitation of God. It's an act of God. We call it conviction. We call it old time Holy Ghost conviction. It's when the Spirit of God comes and He troubles your heart about your lost condition and He draws you to Christ. 
Because He's illuminated you that you're lost and undone without God. Hey, that's why preachers preach. That's why singers travel and sing. It's our job to lift Jesus up. It's our job to exalt Him. It's our job to present Jesus. Because Jesus said if we'd lift Him up, if we'd glorify Him, if we'd exalt Him, if we'd present Him, then He would draw all men Unto himself is what the Bible says. It's the drawing of the Holy Ghost. Are you aware of the fact that you had no desire within yourself to give up your sinful lifestyle? I mean, let's just be real for a minute. You liked it. You enjoyed it. You can play like... I've said it before and I'll say it again. Preacher, we got to quit telling our kids and our young people that sin's not fun. Even the Bible says... That sin is pleasurable, but it's pleasurable for a season. And then the Bible says that when it's done, it brings forth death. We've got, I, I liken sin to cotton candy. It's a little bit of sugar blown way out of proportion. We can't, we can't bury our heads in the sand, preacher, and not realize sin's fun. Sure it is. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. And don't get up on your religious high horse and act like you didn't enjoy it because bless God you did. Before you were converted, you had no desire to become a Christian. You had no desire to get born again, turn from your sin, and you'll put your faith in Christ. You had no desire. But it was the drawing of the Holy Ghost. It was the convicting power of God that overshadowed you so that you could see your need to be saved. And that's why you had a desire to be saved. It's because the Holy Ghost illuminated your heart, showed you your lost condition, and showed you that you needed to be saved. You remember the story I mentioned earlier about the man who was laid by the pool of Bethesda for well, it's 38 years, wasn't it, preacher? He laid there all those years. And he was trying to make an effort... excuse me, to get into the water. Because see, an angel of the uh, the Lord would come down periodically. And I don't know how often. The Bible doesn't say how often. It just said uh, a certain season an angel would come out, trouble the water, and the first person in the water would be be made whole. But you've got to understand this. There was no power in the water. There was no power in the pool. You could have swam in that pool all day, every day, and never got made whole. You could have been in that water from sunday, uh, sun up to sundown and never got a touch. It wasn't about the pool. It wasn't about the water. It was all about the troubling of the water. It was about the visitation from another world. Brother Dennis, can I, can I just tell you why we don't see folks saved every week? You ever wondered why we don't see people get saved and get converted every week? It's because so many people are troubled, but they refuse to get in while they're troubled. I mean, God troubles them in conviction, and they will not get in while the waters are troubled. Troubled, And because they won't get in while the spiritual waters of their heart are troubled, and it's sad to say some of those folks are never going to get in, preacher. Is everybody listening? You'll either come to God when God's dealing with you or you'll never come at all. You don't get saved when you want to, sir. You get saved when God puts you under conviction. But week after week, month after month, preacher, people that we love, 
people that we care about, they put off the offer of eternal life. They put off salvation. They delay. They procrastinate. Now, I could go into a whole lot of reasons why people delay and they procrastinate. I mean, you could blame it on pride. You, you can blame it on hanging on to sin. I mean, you can, you can blame it on a lack of surrender. You can blame it on whatever you want to. I don't have time to get into all that. I just know this, that the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Here's what God's trying to tell us. You better get saved when you know you can, not when you think you will. I just wonder, I got my nose running, preacher. I just wonder how many people promised to be in church this Sunday and they died on Saturday night. I just wonder how many people who had intentions to come to church this morning and get saved never lived to see the sun come up this morning. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative and I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just trying to be realistic. Have you ever thought about the fact, sir, have you ever thought about the fact, ma'am, that the coffin that they'll put you in the ground in could be in the showroom at the funeral home tonight? Have you ever thought about the fact that when you put your shoes on in the morning, the undertaker might take them off tomorrow night? You've got no promise of tomorrow. You've got no promise of time. And that's why it's dangerous. To put off salvation. It's a risky thing. It's a gamble with your eternal soul, my friend. Why do you say that, preacher? I say that because there's no guarantee that if you put it off this time, that God's going to come back and trouble you the next time. Hey, you might be sitting here tonight... And you've put God off. You know you're lost. You know you've never been saved. You know that if you died right now, you'd split hell wide open in your sin. And you've put it off. You've said no to the Holy Ghost over and over and over again. You said, I'll do it later. I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it when I'm ready to settle down. I'll get saved next week. But here's the problem. You don't have a guarantee that God's ever going to trouble you again. You don't have a guarantee that God's ever going to speak to you again. You have no guarantee whatsoever that God is ever going to visit you in His mercy and His divine grace to give you another opportunity. There will come a time, is everybody listening? There will come a time that you'll say no to the Holy Ghost for the last time and that will indeed be the last time. Some call it sinning away your day of grace, preacher. Uh, Some call it blaspheming of the Holy Ghost. I don't care how you label it. I don't care what you call it. But you mark it down. You can only reject God so many times before God says, I will never visit them again. I'm not going back. I've tried to save them over and over and over again. And I'm never going back again. And if you ever cross that spiritual line, ladies and gentlemen... If God ever writes you off and said He's not going to speak to you again, if God ever stops, excuse me, if God ever stops sending the Holy Ghost conviction to you, then there's not a preacher, there's not a prayer, there's not a creed, there's not a church uh, that can help you. You've crossed over a deadline that you'll never be able to cross back over. God signed your death warrant and you're just as good as in hell. And I'm so very sorry. I'm convinced, preacher, that there's a multitude of people in hell while I'm preaching tonight that had good intentions. I just now thought about it, preacher. You reckon that's what that old saying means, the road to hell's paved with good intentions? I mean, uh, they had intentions to get in. They had intentions to get right at a later time, but later never came. 
later never came. I'm also convinced that there's a crowd that went to hell because they said no to God one too many times. Not knowing that that was the last time that they would say no and that was the last time that they'd ever have an opportunity. Has anybody ever here ever heard Dr. J. Harold Smith preach God's Three Deadlines? If you've never heard that, go on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And buddy, it'll change the way you think about a lot of things when it comes to salvation. God's not obligated to give you another opportunity. I heard a preacher tell about his son. He said, my son was 15 years old the first time God put him under conviction and told him he needed to get saved. He put it off. Now think about this. Is everybody listening? Think about this. His son grew up, went to Bible college, and he was his daddy's associate pastor. Now think about this. He was 28 years old the second time God spoke to him and told him he was lost. Now thank God he got in the second time. He had enough sense to say, hang pride and hang position. I've got to get saved. But it was 13 years later, Tanya. 13 years before God ever spoke to him again and troubled the waters of his heart. Now can I ask you a serious question? What if he hadn't lived to see the end of them 13 years? What if 12 years and 364 days he'd have been on the highway and been killed by a drunk driver? Because the reality is there's no promise of tomorrow. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be honest. What about the man whose crops had prospered and he said he had to build bigger barns? And that day, death said, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. We ever wondered why death called him a fool? Here's what I believe. What does the Bible say a fool is? A fool has said in his heart what? And death called him a fool because God was the furthest thing from his thoughts. He was focused on prosperity and his business and the boom he was... And they were getting ready to have more money than they ever had. And God was a hundred miles away from his thoughts. And death called him a fool and said, Tonight your soul's required of thee. Now let me just tell you what I'd do. Because I think it's awful sad, preacher, that people would miss heaven because of procrastination. It's awful sad that folks will miss heaven because of delay. And I submit to you tonight that out of 8 billion people on planet earth, if God spoke to my heart, you would be a fool not to respond. But here's the truth and i got to close. There's going to be a whole lot of people miss it, preacher. Because of delay. Because of procrastination. I just wish we could get folks to understand that the reality is there's no promise of later. There's no guarantee that the sun will even come up tomorrow in your life. You may go to bed tonight and you may not wake up in the morning. There's no guarantee. And a whole lot of people are never going to come to Jesus because of the timing. It's a timing issue. They've got the other things they want to do. 
They've got places they want to go. And they know that if they come to God, God's not going to allow it in their life. We're standing with our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you a question and we'll go home. I mean, can we just have a moment of self-examination? Can I ask you a question, sir? Are you right with God? I mean, if we took a microphone and we handed it to you, uh, could you tell us about a time that God overshadowed you in the Holy Ghost and convicted your heart of your sin? You believed the gospel, agreed with God that you needed a Savior, and you come to Jesus in faith and repentance, and you got born again. By the way, ma'am, nobody knows that except for you. Hey, the only person I know for sure that's saved in this room tonight's me. The only person that you know for sure is saved in this room's you. But I've got good news. Hey, you can be saved and you can know it. You can know it. And I submit to you tonight that if God is troubling the waters of your heart, you would be very wise to respond in faith and come to Christ. How sad it would be to miss God. How sad it would be to never come to Jesus. Now let me ask you a question, church member. You say, oh, I'm saved. But I just wonder... Is there somebody on your heart tonight that you know without a doubt that if they died tonight that they would enter into a Christless eternity? I mean, I'm talking about somebody you love, somebody you care about, and if something doesn't change about their spiritual condition, they're going to die lost and they're going to go to hell. I just wonder, do you care enough about them to kneel in this altar and beg God to save their soul one more time? I I mean, do you care enough about them to ask God to send the Holy Ghost just one more time in conviction? I, I mean, folks, let's just be realistic. We're running out of time. Jesus could come at any moment. And there's going to be some people that we love who aren't going to be ready. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, if our loved ones insist on going to hell, let them go over our dead bodies. Let them go to hell with our arms wrapped around their legs, begging them not to go. What a sad thought, but what a sobering thought to know that there's going to be a whole lot of people who never come to Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless in this time of invitation, God. I pray you'd burden your people with a fresh burden for the lost. I pray that you'd reignite our fire for evangelism and for reaching people. And and Lord, you know uh, that there's people that I love that need you. And I pray, God, you'd go one more time in mercy and in love and give them one more opportunity. I pray for these folks on the altar. These are my friends, people I love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now stay as long as you need to. Stay as long as you need to.